Music Matters. Mr. Ben, cheers, my brother. Good morning. Cheers. Good morning. How you doing, Sunday bro? morning. I'm doing well. I'm doing really well. It's good to um, see you. Yeah, good to see you. Ben, um, Mr. Ben, Ben Copenjan of Corporal Tunnel fame. I always say, I never know how to pronounce your last. Is it Copenjan? Is that correct? You know, my family, like most of my life, has been saying Copenjan. Cop, so but, uh, like copper. But like there's one side of my family and it's kind of like up for debate. Like between <laughs> all of them, it's like that it's pronounced Copenjan. Yawn. It's it's Dutch. So. Oh, it's Dutch. You're Dutch? Yeah. Oh. Not like it. I, I want to say like less than 15, 20%, maybe more. I don't know. The only other Yawn I've heard of is Yawn Gomes. He was a catcher for like the A's and the Guardians. That's the only other time I've heard of Yawn. Mm-hmm. But I, but I, I'm going to go with Cope and Yawn. I, th- I think that that is more of a ring to it. And people used what to. What do you prefer? Like, I don't even know anymore. <laughs> I just say cop and jang because that's what I've been saying my whole life. But I, I used to have like school principals that would like mispronounce my name on like the intercom, you know? Like I remember like <laughs> back in my elementary school, when I was in like second grade. They used to give like student part or like student of the month awards uh-huh. in like each class, which seems kind of fucked up nowadays. <laughs> but yeah, I, I feel like that would fly down. And you would get, like, a popsicle. You'd, like, go to, like, the... That's even weirder. It was weird. Yeah. It was weird, but it was, like, they would do it on the, you know, on the loudspeaker, so everyone was listening, and then you'd, like, walk. <laughs> it was, like, you'd do this little walk all the way down to the office to go get your popsicle. And I remember, like, have a vivid memory of sitting in the school classroom and her being, like, and Ben Kopenjin. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, all right, that's one way to pronounce it. <laughs> yes, that, yeah, that, that is syllables. <laughs> Those are words. Ben Kopenjandahanga. <laughs> people would like say Copenhagen. Like, 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 the, the, like the chewing tobacco? Yeah. Wow. I used to go to like a kind of, I, I grew up in a pretty small town. So uh-huh. it was like a one high school town and uh, lots of hicks. Yeah. Um, and I remember, like, one of the um, football coaches, he would, like, be out on the track because I did, like, a little track and field for a little bit. Oh, so did I. And he would do, he would be, like, because you'd, you'd do roll call, like, yeah. uh, the bleachers. Um, and he would be, like, Ben, Ben Copenhagen, and he would do, like, the wrist <laughs> thing. Like, like, like you snap dip. the can, yeah. For, yeah, like, that's that's the kind of school I went to. <laughs> Where I, I remember we covered this, like, briefly when I interviewed you for the first time, but. God, that that is crazy, dude. That does seem like years ago. Now that I'm thinking about it, like parts of me, parts of it are coming back to me. I'm like, holy shit, that was a minute ago. But mm-hmm. we covered it a little bit at the first time. But what was the town you grew up in? It's like San Diego esque, right? Like area or where well, is it's, it? It's Sanina's Valley, so it's like a little north of like Ventura, Santa Barbara area. Okay, so it's SoCal. Mm, it's I guess it's yeah. It's they call it like the Central Coast. Okay, where where are you in comparison to like Slow? Just is a it, little south of it. Okay. Like, like 45 minutes south of San Luis Obispo and like Pismo Beach area. Oh, okay. What was like the surrounding big city when you were like, was there like a big city you'd go to as a kid? Like, for example, like I grew up in Concord, so I was always going to SF, obviously. Mm-hmm. But it was like, I grew up like going to SF every single weekend. And then like, you know, when I got older, it was like I was there every single day. Was there like an equivalent to that? Yeah. Like, I mean, okay. So we had like one grocery, like major grocery store, which uh-huh. is like an Albertsons. And then if you wanted to, like, go to, like, a Target or, like, a Best Buy or you'd have to drive, like, 30 minutes either way. It would be either oh my Santa God. Maria or Santa Barbara. And, like, Santa Barbara is, like, still not, like, a city. city. I mean, it's, like, big, but. Santa Maria. I, I, I don't even think I've ever even heard of Santa Maria. 
I think their claim to fame is like tri-tip or something. Oh, I got a spot. <laughs> so you so you live there and then you move, was it like San Francisco right after that? So I went, I graduated high school. Oh, because you, you went, went to San Jose, to, right? Went down to Santa Barbara actually to go to City College oh. for two years. And then oddly enough, just kind of applied to like as many state schools as I could. Uh-huh. In kind of areas like I was considering going, I think I like applied to like Long Beach like SF, SFSU, like San Francisco State, and mm-hmm. San Jose. And then I think I got into both San Francisco and San Jose, but I ended up choosing San Jose because I, like stu- I was, like, convinced to go study finance. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, like, was like, okay, this is the only school I can study this at, so I'm going to go to San Jose. Um, kind of just, like, took a chance. Like, didn't know anybody uh-huh. there. And then... I mean, I'm glad I did now because <laughs> yeah, it all worked out. It led to everything. Yeah. Did you did was there like, did you have any preconceptions of like San Jose before you went up there, or was it just like I'm gonna figure it out? I literally just went up there once, and I was like, "This is cool." What would you? That's then, interesting because <laughs> like I like the San Jose State campus, but I feel like people may make fun of me for the fact that I like it because I almost went there. Like I like when I was like that was the only school that I, re- it was like that in SF state with the only schools I really considered instead of community college. Cause I was like, I could commute. Mm-hmm. So I considered them, but, but I, I really like the San Jose state campus and I kind of like how it's like in the midst of everything. Yeah. I feel like it's like for my like crazy, like moves 300 miles a minute brain. It like, it's satisfying, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I actually enjoyed like where it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, t- definitely. I, I, I kind of had a similar experience when I went up there. I was like, I like this campus. Like, yeah. It, it's nice. And it was like enough of a city at the time where I was like, okay, this is going to be a big change for me, you know, compared so, to like Santa Barbara. Yeah. So music was like not in the plans at that point though? It was in the plans. Yeah. But like I, I was in a band in Santa Barbara, like kind of this, uh, I just met some friends through like, you know, places I had worked in and around Santa mm-hmm. Barbara and we um, were playing for like probably about a year together, like in a rehearsal space. But then I, I had to transfer to a school because I was like, I'm going to, you know, keep doing school and then ended up going up there and, and then I just kind of was like, Oh, I'm going to, you know, look for other musicians. Like, yeah. And that's when, that, <laughs> and that's when the whole carpool tunnel ordeal happened. Came up on that my goddamn with vamper, right? Yeah. Vamper. They're still using our ad. Yeah. Shout out. Really? <laughs> we made an ad for them. Like, like I wanted, I guess this is 2017 now. Uh-huh. And I, I swear to God, like last week, my coworker sent me, the, like the hey, ad that you guys came up on our Instagram yeah. and we were on it and it was like 2017 us, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, why are they still like just have, I, I'm surprised they haven't asked us to make another ad. Yeah. Like, I mean, would you do it? If they paid us. Members <laughs> <laughs> claim the fame is ultimately corporal total. Like, like there, there's, I, well, I hope you realize that must mean that you were like the biggest success story there. You gotta be. But, I mean, th- it seemed like there's like quite a bit on this video, but it seems <laughs> like they're kind of doing the same thing with all the other artists. Maybe you guys just made the best video. Maybe everybody else's video like was like poorly shot. It is. It is. It is. Yeah, it's pretty good. Pretty good video. It's candid. <laughs> it's candid. Sure. That's funny. <laughs> what was your like community college experience like? Because it's funny, bro. I, I this don't take this in the wrong way, but I went to community college, and, and I feel like Santa Barbara. 
community college specifically has like such that like it, whenever I hear people going there, yeah. it's because they like wanted to go to UCSB but like didn't get into UCSB, so they go there and then directly transfer. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like the school that I went to in Pleasant Hill, it's called DVC. And it was like the purpose of it is like if you want to go to Berkeley, <laughs> you like go there. Was that kind of the vibe that like Santa Barbara Community College was like for you? Yeah, no, I, it's funny. I I kind of looked into that community college near Berkeley too because I, I oh DVC so really? And I had this like kind of lofty goal oh, of mine when I was lofty. <laughs> <laughs> when I was like a senior in high school. I was like, oh, you know, like I'll go into business. I'll like try to go to Haas School of Business, mm-hmm. which is like I think one of the best business schools in the country. Um, Imagine an alternate universe where you went to DVC. I, yeah, I don't know. That'd be crazy. Well, actually, I, I guess I guess it, it probably wouldn't have been that like different from the reality because like that's Berkeley, that's like twenty five minutes. Uh, I mean, that's that's like what twenty minutes from the city, thirty five minutes. No, it's like forty minutes from San Jose, probably. Yeah, it's true, and I feel like Bradley uh, was like already kind of in the scene somewhat mm. when I moved up to the Bay Area. You know, like, so, I think if I would have like found the scene in any way. Yeah. You would have crossed paths at some point. Yeah, probably, especially if you were living in Berkeley. Mm-hmm. Oh, 100%. But what, what was the community college experience like for you? Oh, yeah, going back to that. Um, it was good. It was, it was. I, I really liked Santa Barbara City College. I uh-huh. particularly went there just because it was, like, the closest community college to me, and it was really cheap. Yeah. And it just kind of coincidentally was also the number one community college at the time in, like, uh-huh. the country or uh-huh. something like that. I don't think it is anymore, but it's, like, still pretty high I think rate. it's really good, yeah. Um. So it just kind of like made sense. Mm-hmm. I kind of had already some friends down there. It was definitely like. Did I, you live there? Or were you commuting from San Andreas? <laughs> I uh, I moved out moved out when I was like seventeen. Oh. Um, and then just went down there for yeah a couple of years. It took me two years to get my AA and then transferred. So how it was were, kind of a blur? How were you in Carpal Tunnel formed? Basically, when we moved, and then I we just kind of met. I know, but how old were you? My, oh, how. Uh, uh, 20? Wow, and now you're... Maybe 19, actually. Wait, let me... No, I would have been 20 years old. 20? And like, I might have I just been 19 and yeah. 20 when I, when I met, uh, like, Bradley. Like, Bradley. freshly 20. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> that, yeah that, that, that saying does not roll off the tongue correctly. <laughs> but, like, yeah. so you, so if you were 20, how, you're what now? You're 27, 26? 20, 25. Wow, I, wow. Aging. I'm sorry, bro. I just called you old. <laughs> That's crazy. Over like a five year span, like, what do you think has been the biggest struggle? Because I don't know, like, as, and this is no shot at like the Bay music scene. I love it. It's where I'm from. But I do feel like a lot of bands in that scene do end up struggling with longevity. And I don't even think that's, I think that's every band in general. I don't think that's probably exclusive to the Bay Area Mm -hmm. music scene. But how do you, like, what do you attribute your guys' longevity to? Like, what do you think was the most difficult aspect in keeping together, like, the band the entire time, this whole time, and like, just keep putting out stuff? (laughs) <laughs> I would say like I mean communication is obviously a big thing Yeah But that's kind of just feels like the easy answer um, I don't know I mean we all We're all like Just super passionate About what we do Yeah um, Which And we all kind of see it As a, as a long term thing Which mm-hmm. I think In order for It to happen Like we all have to have That mindset You know Yeah And there's like Something beautiful About like all those bands That like only happen For a short amount of time That's true Yeah I agree Um, Because you just had to be there To experience it You know Like and we were a part of that That scene 
And like I still I still feel part of that scene. It's like kind of weird now that we've hmm. moved and I know it just feels like this kind of like thing that's stuck in time that I like remember and I have these great memories from. Um, but the longevity, it's de- I mean it's it's definitely definitely an ongoing thing. You know, it's just like it feels like a now it feels like very much like a you know a business. Yeah. Um, and a, but it's like amazing that I get to like obviously do what I what I love and create for that. Um, but yeah, just like making sure our relationships also internally in the band mm. um, are healthy is like definitely. Do you think you struggle with that? Like the fact that it now has become more of a business thing because that is, that is one thing. Even when you look at like the ethos of like the music scene that like you and me both kind of come from, it's like, mm-hmm. The, it, it, it's weird. I, I don't think this was so much a case like in our time, but like if you go back and you look at like the history of like all these bands who like played in Gilman and shit in the eighties, it's like they were like frowned upon for like signing or like frowned upon for like getting big. And I really hate that mindset. And I really resent it. But I also feel like there probably is like I would imagine a lot of like difficulties and stress and anxiety that comes when what you just once did for fun becomes a career. Like, were there, was it really stressful when, you know, you guys got signed and then stuff started becoming more business-like and you had to be more official with it? Like, how'd you kind of balance that? It's definitely, like, something we had, it took getting used to. Yeah. I feel like I'm still getting used to it. But, um, and I wish I had, like, even more time to devote to it. It's not quite that, that's that level to where I can, like, yeah. kind of, sh- like, you know, shift it and, like, not have a day job and, mm-hmm. like, uh, commit all that time. So it's, like... That's the that's probably the part I struggle with the most is like trying to balance, um, you know, having a job, paying bills, and then having time at the end of the day to be like, okay, now I want to work on carpal tunnel stuff, yeah. you know, because like I'm not, you know, we're not getting paid as much for that, so um, it just feels like a grind, you know. Yeah. And if like I and I feel like I have to grind uh, double the amount to be able to give what I want to like give to the carpal tunnel project, you know? Mm. Like, so it's tough. Cause it's like, you know, you, I work eight, eight, nine hours a day and then you get off and you're like, Oh, I want to make content, you know? Yeah. <laughs> no, dude, I trust me. I, I relate to that. I literally have work today. <laughs> like it's, it, I mean, that's, that's why I want to do this is so early, but I relate to that. And it, it gets really hard because I don't know. I mean, you're like a new LA resident. I'm a new LA resident. I'd ask you in that regard, do you ever struggle with comparing yourself to people who get to do their creative thing? or they're full-time, 24-7, because I think that I struggle with that. That's one thing I think I've realized in L.A. It's really easy to do. I've only been here, like, two and a half months, but I've very quickly learned that it's really easy to start comparing yourself to people. Like, that's something I've struggled with, because I'm, because, I mean, I'm not even going to act like I'm not. Like, I'm very jealous of people who get to do their creative thing full-time. That's amazing. That's awesome. I'm happy for them, but obviously I want that. Obviously you want that. Mm -hmm. Obviously every creative person wants that. So do you ever struggle with that comparison? Definitely. But I think like just to kind of throw it back at you, I feel like you're you're doing what I was talking about. Like you're you're doing the double grind. You yeah. Know? Like you're going to work after this, but you're also doing what you want in the morning, in the free time. Like uh-huh. where, when a lot of people would be like, I'm going to relax and like take it easy, you know, because like I've earned it because I, you know, already worked that eight hours, you know, towards something else. So it's like I'm sure a lot of people feel that way. Yeah. You know? Um and it's really tough. It's really tough because, like, you want to devote more time to that that passion, you know. Um, and, yeah, I do see a lot of people that uh, get to do that full time. Um, 
But I, I think a lot of those people have done what uh, that double grind yeah. to be able to get to that point. I think that's earned true. it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a huge thing. And, like, I just keep – I, like, try to remind myself that. I'm like, okay, like, you know, if I keep doing this, eventually I won't have to just do both. I'll just be able to do the one, you know? Yeah. For me, it's kind of like an escape almost because, I mean – I assume you kind of relate to this. Like, this is what I love. Like, I love this more than anything else in the world. So it's like, for me, it's like when I have a shitty day at work, like nothing makes me happier than working on above the bridge stuff. Like, I would imagine like working on carpool stuff is kind of like that one thing Mm -hmm. that you can do outside of work that is like, wow, like I'm still here. You know, you remember why you're here. Yeah, and I mean, like just being in the studio the second week. Yeah, is like, it feels like I got to like step into this room that was just like Hmm. isolated from everything else. Like, I just kind of got to narrow in on this thing, you know, um, and not have to think about anything else. Yeah. It's just like, that's when I feel like, feel like we can be our most creative too. Mm. Um, we're just very much in that headspace. Yeah. The whole week. Kind of on that note, I know you guys are recording the second record right now. Um, we were talking about this like briefly a second ago, but I think it does, it, it, it does kind of tie into the whole work conversation. How have you been able to like balance? Cause, cause you told me you're what you're in there 60 hours a week, right? You've been in the studio six hours a week for like two weeks now. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we, so we've done two two week stretches, but kind of like there was three weeks in be- in between. Yeah, it's really nice because we had to go home and like sit on things and digest <laughs> it. Like sometimes it's just feels, <laughs> if like you did it all at once, it would just kind of like be almost like this whole like all one thought throughout. You know, yeah, like, just like you went through this like three week thing. And you're like, oh, okay, there it is. You know. Um, but now we kind of like get to breathe and like digest it a little bit. Yeah, of course. And then then, like revisit it and like with fresh eyes and like be able to kind of, I don't know, hear things that we didn't hear before. You may, you know, maybe you changed your mind on something. Yeah, of course. How have you balanced that? Like, so those weeks where you're recording, are you working on your, at your day job at all? Are you taking those off? Yeah. I was going to say. Thank God for unlimited PTO. What PTO? (laughs) Like, oh, paid time off? Yeah. Oh, Wow. Shout out to Crowdsource. That's that's you work for, right? Crowdsurf. Crowdsurf. What what, what exactly do they do? I'm sorry. We do like digital marketing. Okay. Like artists. So like now I, it's cool because like I'm working. My job, my day job, is in the music business. So it it does feel like I'm, just kind of like I don't know, involved with music all day. I want to talk to you more about that, but I, but I also want to hear about the record first. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, go back. Because, yeah, because, uh, okay, so you guys are in there 60 hours a week. What has the recording process been like recording in L.A. versus recording in the city? Because the first record, you guys kind of all just did, did at home, right? Well, no, we actually did it in Hollywood. Uh, oh, you did the first record in Hollywood? Yeah. Oh, the in same this, studio? In this little, in this kind of, I guess it wasn't little, but, you know, uh-huh. it's like a studio in um, West Hollywood. It was called Rev 9 Recordings. Um. It was just like happened to be through a friend's uh, band that connected us to. They were ba- you know, basically like, "Oh, we did our last record, dude." So, um, and we were like, "Okay, cool. You know, this record sounds good. So, um, we'll take you up on it." And that's where we ended up going. Um, and we, we recorded that in October of 2019, mm-hmm. and then Jesus. we didn't release it until February 2021. Why was that timeline so long? Just because it took. Pandemic hit. Oh, like that's right. Yeah, and you went a tour and everything. We had a tour planned that got canceled, um, and then we just like kind of had this record. You know, we were like, and then we spent like a good amount of like probably the si- first six months <coughs> when everything was happening, like shopping it around. Um, shout out to Michael 
Shout um, out Michael. Because he helped us like also just like kind of get over the fear of just like cold emailing a lot of people. Mm. Um, That's funny. He actually he actually helped me with that too. For yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. And just like uh so we just started cold emailing like booking agents, labels. Like we would just sit I just remember we were sitting there in the garage and we had bought <laughs> we had bought these embroidery machines. Yeah. Um also, Michael convinced us to get these embroidery machines <laughs> um, to make these shirts. So we like bought like I don't know like eight hundred like six 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 to eight hundred shirts. Holy like shit! Um, and we're like, we're just gonna we have all this time. We're at home. Why don't we just make merch? You know, like um, and so we kind of sat in this garage um, and changed out these shirts. Each one would take like twenty to thirty minutes in between, like setting it up. Oh my we, god! Putting it on the <laughs> machine. Sure? And you had six hundred of them. Yeah, that's insane. we did not do them all. We yeah. definitely did not do them. Um, some people probably have them though. They're like little, they're like carpal tunnel shirts, and it just says like kind of carpal tunnel. Oh, in the blue. Uh, there there is ones that are blue. It's the puff the puff letters. Yeah, yeah. I have one right now. Yeah, yeah. That's bought, one of the embroidered. Mach- I bought one, really. Mm-hmm. Where did I buy that? Sometime in like the ten times I've seen you guys. At some mm-hmm. point, I must have bought it. That's so funny. But that was like how you spent your pandemic just doing that. Yeah, that was one of the. One of the, I, I want to say we probably made like maybe 200, maybe. I, I don't, they take a long time. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Michael like did a lot of them. Like, and he was, uh, I was living in Daly City at the time. Um, and I had this garage downstairs. Um, and he was sleeping on my couch. <laughs> and we were uh, in, you know, just to be in the Bay Area because he wanted obviously to be around us all and like what we were doing. Um, and he would sit down there in the garage and like we would help him as much as possible. But I would like go to work sometimes and he would just stay home and make <laughs> shirts down there in the garage. Like, um, and then we would like spend most of the time like sitting down there, like Bradley, me and Michael, just like e- like sitting there cold emailing people. Were you, um, it's interesting that you say you were like were shopping that album a lot because to me, in my mind, Pure Noise makes like, way too much sense for it not to be a thing that was just like instant like oh yeah like for sure like we'd love to we'd love to put this record out were you guys like looking at other other labels and like what they had to offer because like to me i feel like i don't know you guys are just so you guys are too bay area for pure noise to not make perfect sense you know mm-hmm. yeah that makes sense yeah and I, I we had been offered like three like three or four record deals yeah like kind of just sketchy ones like <laughs> Like independent and labels or? Yeah, a couple independent ones. One of them, like, our, <laughs> like who recorded our um, Bloom, like, also they just, like, kind of offered oh. to, like, kind of, like, form a label. Um, oh, wow. And we just, like, I don't know how much I should talk on it, but we dodged, yeah. I'm just going to say well, we dodged some bullets. Yeah. Like, <laughs> just, like, kind of just shady things. like I And, like, looking back, if we would have signed them, like, we would have been, like, definitely taken advantage of just like in sense of in terms of the deal and how much like cut they wanted of stuff like some of the deals like wanted like cuts of our merch which is just like that's a little bizarre For most record contracts is just kind of unheard of especially for like kind of like labels like our size like pure noise especially if you're making your own (laughs) your your own merch yeah Mm -hmm. so yeah, like, could you imagine, like, we're sitting there making our embroidered shirts and they want 50% of it? Yeah, what? Like, what do they have to do with this at all? Because they're associated with the name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, literally. No, that makes zero sense. So, at that point, like, 
how did kind of getting signed when you were putting out Bloom like change everything? So you get signed, and there's the next move like okay, like let's get this record out now. Or like how long was the the overlap there? We felt that way. Like we want like it was like once you already have this thing done, mm-hmm. we're just like we want to share this with like our fans. Yeah, and, of course, like, people that listen to our music. Because we we're, we're like we get equally as excited, you know, like we're just <laughs> like stoked. Like even with like um, this record right now, we're just like working on it as much as possible. Like these songs are developing into things that we could never imagine. And like, we're just like excited to release them. Um, but going back, um, what, were we, what were we just talking about? Uh, getting signed, <laughs> getting signed. Right. Um, so yeah, we, we dodged those bullets with those other contracts. Um, and just happened to like, sit on the record long enough to where like we had cold emailed it to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to say we had started like, cause we, re- so we recorded October, 2019. And then for like the two, three months after that, we were like before the pandemic hit in like March, we were uh, basically just shopping into booking agents, yeah. record labels. And then the pandemic hit and we were kind of in talks with pure noise. Like, I remember being, like, out in front of, like, one of my business finals. Like, for, <laughs> I think this was my my senior year now. Uh-huh. So, I was, like, go about to go into, like, I don't know, like, some business 170 crazy final for, the you know, the semester. Yeah. Um, and I was out on the phone with, like, um, the record label owner and, like, the guys all on the phone, like, Danny, Bradley, Spencer. Um and we were just, it was just like, it was, I don't know, it went went super well, but it was just like <laughs> it was one of those things yeah. where it's like we had that phone call and then like three, four months go by and then the pandemic hit and it was like, everything's on pause. Like, is, yeah. is this thing actually going to still happen? And like, luckily the the label like still wanted to sign us mm-hmm. despite everything that was happening. Because like, I mean, we lost a whole tour. It was like, yeah, we had no idea what was going to happen, you know, especially for a band of your caliber where you're entirely, you guys are such a live band, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Like, so much of what you guys do is live performances. So that had to be, like, so, oh, dude, that had to be such a gut-wrenching moment. Like, where you, I remember we talked about this the first time, and you said it was kind of, like, putting out the record in that period was very, like, it was, like, a double feeling. I remember you told me that, because you, you said it was, like, very much, like, oh, like, we're happy this music's out, but we want to play it live. Yeah, and I only think we, we released it in February. I don't think we got to play it live until July of that year. Do you remember the first show? Mm-hmm. It was Cornerstone in Berkeley uh-huh. um, with Small Crush. Oh, uh, okay. And the Moon Drops. It was a really good lineup. Yeah, sweet. that is a good lineup. It was a, it was a good show. Yeah, that's sick. I bet the feeling of that was probably super, super crazy. Oh, it was, it was so cool. I remember playing um, Empty Faces, mm-hmm. and there was this big disco ball, and <laughs> people were just like, I, I, just, I felt like the like the excitement and just like happiness in the room. And yeah. Like to have this live music again. That's beautiful. Because, um, like, some of those were the first shows. And it was still, like, questionable. It was like, should we be having these? It was so these weird shows? in the beginning. Yeah. It was so weird. Yeah. I remember very specifically, like, I feel like this is a story I'll tell my kids. I remember when during the pandemic, I was hiking, like, every single day because it was, mm-hmm. like, just keeping me sane. Like, I was, like, I literally, like, got to the point where I was, like, I was looking up, like, okay, what's another random East Bay trail that I can just, like, go down today and do, like, a 10-mile and just like 
tune out and act like the world isn't like in shambles. And that was like what I did every single day. But I remember really specifically, I listened to a lot, a lot of different podcasts, but I, I listened mm-hmm. to Rick Rubin's podcast a lot when I was hiking during that time. And I remember he did, had this one conversation with Ben Folds and they were talking about like when they think live music will come back. And he kind of noted, he was like, yeah, I don't think it'll all come back at once. And I was like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, right? Like in my head, I was like, there's no way it'll be like, oh, like we didn't have live music and then one day we just do, you know? It was always going to be very gradual, like the masks and the social distancing. But I didn't feel like that was really what happened. Like I feel like it more or less went from like, we don't have this at all. It's like we have everything back. And I was thankful for that. I mean, it was a little scary. Like in the beginning, dude, shows felt weird. Like mm-hmm. I felt really weird going to shows for the first couple of weeks, but then I just felt, I felt like normal again, and I just realized how much I missed it. Yeah, I mean, we felt like touring was really weird. Mm-hmm. I mean, we definitely just tried to wear masks <laughs> as much as possible. You know, what was the tour you guys did after COVID? Like right post COVID, we did one in November of 2021. Oh, that so was we the were, break kind of breakup like, shoes one. Uh, we did for one with Small Crush actually okay. in November. We did kind of like a West Coast run with them, mm-hmm. like starting up in Seattle and went all the way down to like San Diego. And I think it was like eleven or thirteen shows or something like that. Um, and then we did one in February with Breakup Shoes and went all the way like out to Texas and stuff like that. You guys have like toured a lot of times, right? Like, how many times now have you like been on tour? I don't, I, I don't know. I guess I'm not, I haven't been keeping track, but I want to say like six or seven. Did Maybe you? a little more than that. I mean, we did a lot of one-off shows yeah. for like a long time. Like we would just kind of like drive to San Diego on a, on a whim. You Jesus know? We Christ. like got offered a show and it was like, oh, like, you know, on Saturday we would like <laughs> go there, come back and then Fuck it. go back Call to school work. or whatever yeah. it was, you know. That's insane. So did you, how many of those tours were like post-label? Like were you guys doing independent tours before that? Yeah. How yeah. were you just booking those yourself? Like full, like, okay, let's like just make a route. Let's make a route and find dates <laughs> that line up on these, these, these spots. The first couple tours we did, we had to do it like that. And then it kind of just like, as we, as we just took shows, mm-hmm. like we would, we would, you know, first when we started off, we would like book shows for ourselves or like hit up another band and be like, Hey, you want to like get a bill, you know, at this, at this venue. And then it just kind of, became its like own independent living thing. Like people would just, we would just check our DMs, our emails, and people would be like, do you want to play on this date? And and we would just like, for the, like, I want to say the first two years, we would just say yes to everything. Yeah, you know? do you guys ever say no? <laughs> not, I mean, not that I can really think of. Um, I mean, we probably like, of course said no if it like didn't make sense with our schedule. Yeah. Like somebody like had something important or it was a long drive and just didn't make sense. Yeah. Like, you know, we were going to lose money, like a ridiculous amount or something. Um, but yeah, I would just like, you would just say yes to everything. Do you kind of attribute like the growth of Carpal Tunnel and like your success and getting the deal and everything? Do you think like a big part of that is because of the live presence you built Definitely. and like how much you guys played live? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't think if we played as much as we did, we'd even be the band we are today. Yeah. And it's I feel like, like pretty crucial yeah. like how we, I don't know, got like a organic fan base, you know? Yeah. And I'm like so thankful for that. That's the thing. Like, like there's, there's artists that have like millions of streams, but don't have a fan base. You guys have a fan base. 
Like I feel like that just comes from playing live for sure. And I feel like that's kind of a that's kind of a an aspect of this that people kind of discredit in regards to like work ethic. Mm. It's like, dude, to take every single gig you get offered, that is such a commitment. Like that takes so many hours, so much so much out of your life. Like you essentially have to make it your life. And I feel like that's something people discredit a little bit. And I I, I often feel like you know, like, obviously you can grow through the internet. Like, that is beyond proven. Everybody knows that. But at the same time, I do feel like some people forget about the fact that, like, growing a fan base really happens better in person. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you can get listeners online, but I feel like in person is where you get a fan base. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, definitely. It's difficult. Um, since you now have, like, been not only a musician for, like, a good amount of time, but also now you work in the music industry, too, mm-hmm. how has it been kind of, like, contrasting those two sides like has it do you think you have a different perspective because you're like a musician that now works in the industry through do do like marketing stuff yeah I would I definitely think so and I'm like super thankful for my job because it's like Mm -hmm. helped me gain a lot of perspective on how to like kind of run our own business you know yeah Um, it's definitely interesting like seeing both sides of it Um, but I do find there's like a lot of people in the industry that are musicians. Yeah, know? of course. Um, so it's kind of cool to connect with those people too. Um, and just kind of gain their like insights and like how they've gotten to the point where they are, you know, whether it's like they do A&R at a, at a major or something or, um, or just like around the digital end, like I am. Um, it's just kind of cool to connect with them and like see how they like view it differently than I do. Mm-hmm. Has that, like, has working in marketing, like, on the music industry side of things, like, helped a lot of how you look at your carpool stuff? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, like, it's it's kind of just, like, a lot of, like, technical things that I've uh-huh. learned, you know? What, like, what is your day-to-day? Like, what do you, like, do? I just, like, kind of help run, like, artist socials. So I just, uh-huh. like, help on all platforms. I'm just, like, delve deep into Instagram and TikTok and, and YouTube and all that stuff. And I just, like, concentrate on, like, optimizing stuff for artists and stuff like that. Yeah, like an analytical basis. Mm-hmm. Did you get that job, do you think, because of your experience with carpool? Or was it like your... Cause you, you, you graduated school, right? <laughs> yeah, I graduated in 2021 and then was still kind of working in, like, restaurants. Yeah. Like, bartending, uh, managed a brewery for a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then um, that's when I, like, after that job, I was like, I need to get a job, like, in something I'm, like, I really want to do. Yeah. Um, and I like apply, I was applying for stuff for like months, you know, like just kind of feeling helpless at a certain point. Like, I'm like, am I going to be able to get a job in like something like I, cause I was like telling myself, I don't want to go back into, into like, um, into hospitality. Yeah. Like I, just, I just don't want to do it. <laughs> I feel you. I had been doing it for like six years, six, seven years. Yeah. And like, not that I, I think it's, a, I think it's a great career for a lot of people. Um, it's very hard. Bar, bartenders um especially if you want to like pursue something you're passionate about and it helped me like pursue music for such a long time which um it's like a great job to like have to be able to do those kind of things yeah Um, but i kind of like saw myself as like oh i want to like kind of have a schedule you know i want to work monday through friday if i can and that doesn't happen when you work in restaurants no (laughs) no you work lunch today you work dinner tomorrow you work lunch the next day and then dinner the next day yeah 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 but I, I mean, I just, and then I kind of just decided I didn't want to go back to that because I didn't want to see myself doing that for that long. Yeah. Um, and just wanted to get experience in something else. So I decided to just keep applying things. And I was like on LinkedIn, 
like every day, like applying to like four or five jobs a day. And it was just like tiring. It was so tiring. Um, Cause like I would like, I would try to take them serious. I like rewrite the cover letter. Yeah. Um, each time. And it's just draining after a while. Yeah, of course. Especially um, if you're getting like, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. Or just no response. Yeah. That's, like, that's, that's even like worse. The, that's the modern age is like literally yeah. no response. Um, or like you get that automated email reply like months later. <laughs> it's like, sorry. Like, unfortunately, this position has been filled. Yeah. yeah. Do you are, are ultimately, are you happy that you made that switch and now you work in music? Like, do you think you're happier doing what you do now opposed to working in restaurants and stuff? Because that that's honestly something I've struggled with a lot. And I feel like, I don't know, I haven't really tried a lot, but I feel like part of me, I, I don't know if I could get a job in music if I really tried. I mean, I don't have a degree, but I do a bit of a portfolio, like with Above the Bridge stuff. So hopefully that could like leverage, you know, to get some job in music. But I've kind of, I, I think I'm, I'm where you were at because I've accepted that like, I'm not going to make as much money doing that as I do serving tables, mm-hmm. but it's very much like a hard, a hard line to tote. Like, do you think you got this job like more based on your carpool experience or more based on like your degree? Kind of, I would say, I don't know how much it is the degree. Yeah. I mean, the f- the thing I've realized about my degree is it's like kind of just like this line on LinkedIn and a line on my resume, <laughs> you know, that like yeah. says I did it. Like, but I don't do anything in finance. It's like, oh, that's right, your degree, that's right, your degree's in finance. <coughs> I, yeah. So, it's just funny because like, you could I could probably have a degree in anything. Yeah. But I did. I would say it is like a lot of my experience in, in carpal tunnel. You know, like. I, s- I sold that on my on my side, and I like I used it as a lot of experience because I mean like it's cause we're it is selling, a lot of yeah. insight. It's a lot of insight, you know, like a ton. into stuff. And like I think more and more like businesses in the music industry are looking to like, of course, connect with artists. You know, yeah, um, especially with digital because you're kind of like you're directly working with artists, and you're like you know what it's like to be in their shoes. Um, you know, it's like too much to ask them to do especially yeah. when it comes to like making content and like i know what i wouldn't want to be asked like you know what's realistic yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 you are like you know their expectations and stuff like that so i think that's super helpful um i wanted to touch back on what you were talking about the hiking in the podcast uh-huh <laughs> so wait do you did a lot of hiking like um at the beginning of the pandemic yeah I know, I know you're a big hike person. Yeah, yeah. I wanted, I, to, I wanted to dive into I know that you, subject. Yeah, I know how you backpack. You backpack a lot, right? That's our connection, how we know Ayush. Because mm-hmm. you, you know Ayush because you, like, you backpack with them. Shout out Ayush. Good ass guy. But apparently he's moving to LA. He is. Yeah. yeah. I just actually went on a hike with him last weekend. That's crazy. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, he was here the other day too. I'm, I'm su- I'm su- I love that guy. But yeah, that was like a funny connection. How you knew I used to like backpack and stuff, and then I knew him through like my friend who like went to school with him. Anyway, yeah, I love hiking. I want to get more into backpacking. But I like literally there was a period in my life where like I was hiking Mount Diablo every single day. I think I've done every every trail in like the east, like, like most of the trails in the East mm-hmm. Bay, like my, almost everything on Mount Diablo. I've done like all the Black Diamond stuff. Like I've, I've done a lot of Mission Peak stuff yeah. as, as much as there is to do Mission Peak. It's not that big, but like. I yeah I mean I've done a lot I, I think you've done a lot more than me but I mean I haven't done all the East East Bay trails I've done I've done uh, let's go hit Mount Diablo yeah you know I've never ended up doing that funny enough I don't know why but I definitely did like equally as hard hikes around the Bay Area yeah um, t- mostly a lot of stuff in, up in the North Bay mm-hmm. um, in like Point Reyes area we yeah. go up to a lot. 
Point wow. Reyes is beautiful, dude. Oh this, my god! I had this one area in at Mount Tam that was called Cataract Falls. Yeah, because you just, guys weren't even that. You guys were right there. You were like damn near like what twenty minutes from Mount Tam. Yeah, yeah, twenty like twenty twenty five. No traffic. I mean, the only the honestly the only downside was that you have to pay the ten dollar toll coming back. They oh yeah, <laughs> there's no air. So it was like it. kind of a ter- deterrent, especially, especially when gas prices <laughs> were starting to go up. I was yeah, like, oh shit. Especially when you're only on the bridge for like two seconds, right? Because you just mm-hmm. take that first Sausalito exit, don't you, to get to like where the Marin Headlands are and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's so brutal. <laughs> yeah, it is brutal, but it's beautiful up there. Um, lot, lots of stuff out in Yosemite, um, Desolation Wilderness out in like Tahoe. Area. Yeah, area is awesome, dude. Yeah, like, I, I I like for I think three four years every single summer would camp in Markleyville. Do you know where Markleyville is? No, it's a bit like it would be a little south of Tahoe. It's like south mm-hmm. of Truckee, but I'd camp there. It, like at least once every summer for the past like four or five years and me and all my friends would go and we would just trout fish and we just can't oh it's so fun man I, I love that place like with the bottom of my heart like that's one of, that's one of my happiest places in the world yeah that's a good area I really like Truckee mm-hmm. like we have a a special like to connect it all back to the band like uh we have a really special connection with Truckee like we've gone to Reno a lot uh-huh you guys um, play there a lot right yeah our, like there's this a great like group of just people that show up to come and see us. Like, yeah. Sometime we're there. Um, but one of the special things about going there is you have to drive. Um, I forget the, what the freeway is there. I think it technically is 80, 80 East. Um, I so, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. It just goes all the way to Reno. If you just keep taking it, it uh-huh. goes like past Tahoe. Um, but it drives along like the Truckee river. Dude. Oh, yeah. Continue. I've so many, I have one spot this. that we've always stopped. Like, Depending on the weather, of course, mm-hmm. it's like cold as shit. Like we're not gonna get yeah. But uh, we would stop and just like basically just like jump into the river. Like it's like pretty deep river. Like there's yeah. a lot of water in there. Oh, um, that's so funny that you say that. So my cousins live in Truckee. Truckee really? is like the population of Truckee is like incredibly low. Like nobody lives there. But mm-hmm. my cousins are from there, so I would go there every single summer as well. And dude, oh, it's so cool. They live like damn near on the Truckee River. Like, 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 I part it's of pretty. yeah. So oh pretty. my god, it's gorgeous, dude! Like, I have so many memories. Me and my cousin going down there. We'd catch like gardener snakes and like, dude. I, part of me wonders if like we were around the same spot. Yeah, no, it's possible. Um, and the funny thing is, if you like look at our vinyl, yeah, the there's like a sleeve inside with all the lyrics. The other side is the photo of us at the trucking. <laughs> That's so cool. That's um, so sick. So it's kind of like a, like all the photos like kind of on our album art is just kind of from our travels like on tour. Would you guys? Because I know you guys were like van touring for f- years. You guys are the definition of doing that. Would you like? Was that a common thing? Like, would you stop if you found like a cool spot of wilderness or a cool trail and go do it? Yeah, I mean, I'm probably the biggest hiker out of the band. Yeah. Um. So it was like it would obviously be really hard to convince I think everyone to do like a huge hike. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um. We definitely like. I think one of the magical things about touring too is like we would just come across like these just beautiful spots. I mean, I forget what tour it was, but we we just came across like this like kind of turn off and there was just like this beautiful river and it was like golden hour. There was just this beautiful mm. sunset and like just amazing colors. Um, I want to say we were like somewhere in like Utah going up to like Wyoming or something. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just like one of those magical moments where it was just like, 
there at the perfect time. You know? That's so cool. Um, that's kind of like the picture of your guys, your guys' album cover, right? That's in the Salt Flats, right? Yeah, that was that was just kind of like from what we just like decided to stop at the Salt Flats just for a little bit because um, we just thought it would be cool, uh, and that's where we took all those photos. And we didn't think of it at the time as like, oh, this is gonna be our album cover. Yeah. It's just we just happened to have it, and we look back at it, and we're like, this is pretty cool. Like, no, it's such a cool damn photo, dude. And it, like, represents, I don't know, kind of what we are as a band. Like, we were very mm. much a live band at the time. That that album was very much like a live kind of sounding album, you know? Like, mm-hmm. we wanted to sound like a band on that record. Um, mm. I like that. No, no, I, I feel like I really know what you mean by that. Because mm-hmm. it's very true. Like, I feel like the, the antithesis of what you guys are, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, I, I would want to assume, but I feel like a lot of what you guys are is from your shows. You know, like, mm-hmm. you guys very much are a live band. And that's kind of exemplified in the way that you play live. I think it's exemplified in, like, you, the first record you said. On the new project, is are you, I, I know you mentioned you're, you're doing more overdubs and stuff opposed to, like, live recording. Are you kind of trying to, like, transcend, like, that aspect of it? Are you trying to still keep that? Are you trying to look at it through, like, a different lens? Or how's the recording process of the new record been different than the last one? Yeah, I think the different lens is a good way to kind of describe it. Because we, we def, it definitely, like, sounds like a carpool record. You yeah. Know? Like, it's, like, stage true to ourselves. But we're adding things like we've never, I don't know, messed with. Like we're uh-huh. like, like we're, you know, juniors getting in there in the studio and like playing these amazing key parts. That's so cool. On like upright pianos and like there's some grand piano on on a couple songs and it's just like we're trying to take everything that we love from the music we listen to almost in a way and like just apply it to what we've already. Like kind of written and yeah. worked on, and it's really cool stuff. It's real. It's just like it definitely is like taking our music to the next level in a way. Like more experimentation, like because I mean it's not like like the last record there weren't really like a lot of keys or anything like that. Like are you trying to experiment with like more instruments and stuff like that? Yeah, to a certain degree. We we don't want to like it's not it doesn't like sound like almost like experimental in a way. Yeah, but it's like very. Um, more like just kind of hashed out, like, like grandiose. Yeah, and it almost feels like it's um, communicating our like emotion behind the music e- even more. Mm. Like, and I think that's like what the pianos also add and and stuff like that. And we're adding all these cool percussion stuff that Junior's been doing, and um, lots more harmonies. Oh, sick! Like doing four part harmonies at some point. That's you know? so cool. There's the, there's the one song you guys played live where you guys <coughs> all sung it. That one I remember. That was like a defining moment in my head from like seeing you guys last because it was like, holy shit, that was very different. Mm-hmm. I remember. Is that one on the record? It is. Yeah, that song's crazy. Yeah. So a lot of the ones that we've um, been adding that are like new songs playing live are ones that mm-hmm. are on the record. Oh, that's so fun. So. Um... In terms of like a guiding emotion, wow. like for this record opposed to the last one, do you feel? Because I know you said the, the emotions on this record feel a bit more real to you. Do you think like the feeling in the studio for this record is a defining feeling versus the last one? Because I feel it's very different times, right? I feel like in your life. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like the last one it was like you didn't know it, but this crazy pandemic was coming. You guys were still in the kind of that like first record phase i would imagine and now it's like you live in la 
it's a different group. You guys are doing different things. Like, is there a different emotion you think in the studio that's present opposed to the last one? Oh yeah. I, yeah, like the, the first record was very like coming of age and we were just so excited. And I remember being like, Oh, 2020, you know, like yeah. the twenties of, you know, the 21st century, like we're gonna, like big things are going to happen, you know? And then, you know, obviously everything happened and it felt so slowed down, but I think that really shows with this record, like everything that happened in a way, like we went to this like tiny house or not tiny house, but a house out, out in um, Santa Cruz um, that was like Bradley's grandma's house at the time. <coughs> and she just like kindly let us um, go there for like three months at the beginning. And we just like, Set up a whole setup, kind of like this. Wow. Like, had mics, headphones, and just played music for, like, 10 hours a day. And that um, was, like, the writing of this record? A lot of, the, like, four of the songs are kind of from, like, those sessions and, like, what we were doing. Um, and it's, like, very much influenced kind of, like, by our environment. Like, mm. especially now that I'm looking back. Um, we've written, like, a lot of our music, like, on porches and stuff like that. <laughs> like, funny. out on our house. Like... Your porch is sick. Yeah, that's a really good porch. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, like, even the first house I lived in in San Jose had a porch. Um, our house in San Francisco didn't really have one, but it had a nice backyard, and we had, like, set up a studio. But um, that house out in Santa Cruz when the, when the pandemic happened, like, that had, like, a big deck and, like, looked out into, like, redwood trees and, like, we finally could see, like, stars, you know, because there was, like, no light pollution there yeah um and we would write a lot like out on this deck and i think like now looking back like it makes a lot of sense like why these songs sound the way they do because like mm. they came from the inspiration that was like found at that place you know um even the song that we like ha- kind of have this is titled moon song right now was like we were writing it like in the living room and it just like, happened to be like pretty late like i want to say like 10 o'clock almost 11 p.m. and we're like should we be like be playing drums right now like we uh, play we we play drums way too late like <laughs> this house this house will have drums going till like what are the we have the coolest fucking neighbors ever man it's awesome yeah this was just like we were kind of like we didn't know anything about the neighbors at this place uh-huh. and it was like pretty quiet neighborhood and it was like in a can- like kind of like this ravine so it's like the drums like echoed everywhere. Oh, so it was no. like 11 p.m. We're like, oh, okay, um, but we were we were still just playing, and we happened to just write this song, and it was just like one of those moments where the song like all came out in like 20 mm. minutes, 30 minutes. You know, like somebody came up with something, and we're like, yeah, what, what was that? You know, and like played on it, and we're like, oh, this is a really cool song. Like lyrics kind of just like just came out naturally. Mm-hmm. I think like the chorus of the song is like literally the still. The same thing I sung, like, just off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that time, there was, like, a moon. Like, this house had these, like, big windows. Like, almost, like, as tall as how the, like, almost two stories of just, like, these t- tall windows in the living room. Um, so it was, like, kind of very boomy, mm-hmm. boomy room for drums. Um, and the, there was, like, the moon was, like, starting to rise, like, kind of over the hill. Um and the song just kind of like gives like very fifties, <coughs> like almost like you're in a ballroom in a way. Yeah. Or like a 
old high school prom. And I don't know, it just like the feeling of it made sense with what was happening. So we called it Moon Song. Yeah. I, I remember touching on kind of a similar thing, like when we first did that interview, like last year. And I remember you talking about how like San Francisco influenced your music. I don't, I, I often feel like that's something that's not talked about, like how much where you are influences the music that you're making. Mm-hmm. Like, do you feel like a lot of this record is maybe inspired by the places you recorded it at or, or not recorded that, but just wrote these songs at? Like, were they, were they a lot of different places? Yeah. I th- like, well, like four of them were written at that place I was talking about in Santa Cruz. Mm-hmm. And then also just like various places, like Bradley and I have been living together since the pandemic happened Mm -hmm. we moved in um at a place back in the sunset district in san francisco and then we moved back somehow to our original house that we had had in san (laughs) francisco that's Um, crazy it was just like one of those things where like his brother kept it and then we had like some friends that moved in um and then we just happened to like they were like oh we're moving out and we're like oh well is it available you know um, and we moved back into our original spot. <laughs> it was crazy. like, so it was really weird. Like, yeah. especially cause like, that's where we had written like a lot of the bloom record. Yeah. Um, and we hadn't been there since like, or at least I hadn't been there since like 2018 or something like that. Yeah. Um, so it was really cool to go back into that space. Um, and that's where like a decent, like handful of the last songs for this record were written basically. And we're still like obviously hashing things out, but like the rest of it's kind of written down in LA. So, I, I, I w- oh, so th- there was a good portion that's written in LA. Do you think yeah, like I would say so? Do you think this record would sound different if it was entirely written in LA? Like, do you feel like the writing process is different here? Uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like it's you kind of just. Obs- I feel like as I don't know, musician, I just kind of absorb my environment mm. like a sponge, you know. That's why I feel so good about going out in nature. Yeah. Because um, I just feel like I, I had, like, soak up that environment. Um, so I would say, I would say definitely, yeah. How's I the, think, how, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, you're good. I was saying, how's the nature been down here? Like, that's something I've struggled to find so far. I haven't looked a ton. <laughs> I've been so fucking busy, honestly. But, like, I, I, I've, if, if there's some good spots, bro, put me on. We should hike. There's some really good spots. Where have you been so far? Um, you kind of have to drive, obviously, mm-hmm. as being in L.A. <laughs> entails. Um, but, like, I, I mean, for sure, obviously, the obvious ones are Joshua Tree. Um, I really want to go to Joshua Tree soon. Like, the the Eastern Sierras. Yeah. Um, kind of near out by Whitney. Mm-hmm. Blew my mind. Like, like, seriously, like, I'm such a Yosemite lover. Um. Yeah. But going to like out, we went to like Whitney Portal area, uh-huh. um, and we went up to this lake called Mason Lake, which is kind of it's basically like you go into this like little campsite out in Whitney, and you're basically up, I think like up at like eighty five hundred feet or something mm-hmm. like that, like just at this campground. Um, and there's like the hike to Whitney, and then there's like a couple other hikes, and this one of these hikes was up to this place called Mason Lake, um. Which is up at like eleven. You can fact check me on this, but I want to <laughs> say it's like eleven, eleven thousand something, uh-huh. like eleven thousand three hundred feet or something like that. So it's pretty high up there, like obviously compared to where we are right now. Um, but it was like a four or five mile hike, just all uphill. 
So it's pretty, it's like, it was a hard hike. Yeah. Doable. Um, but we did it in like October when it wasn't like hot, a hundred degrees. Yeah, if it was that. hot, I couldn't imagine doing that. Especially because you got like a forty pound pack on your back. Yeah, and you're just lugging it up this hill. Yeah, Jesus. But um, one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. <sighs> and how far was that from here? It's like two, two and a half hours. That's oh, not that bad. Yeah, because yeah. I because I've been missing it, dude. I really have, and I, and I feel like I. I don't know. One thing I struggle with for sure is trying to like separate myself from what I do and make giving myself like time to go enjoy my passions. One of those being nature. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I often get so wrapped up and like that. I got to work 24 seven. I got to work every single day. Sigma grind set that like, <laughs> I'm like, wow, there's so much beautiful things that I can be enjoying outside of what I do that also make me happy. And I think I need to give myself more of that time. Do you ever struggle balancing that? Like, do you ever, I don't know. Like to me, I feel like, I don't know. I, I get the sense you have a better balance on it than I do, but I feel like. Uh, but, but, but but do you I'm have, still learning? Yeah, but do, do you ever struggle with that though? Like, you know, like if you're ever doing something you'd like to be doing or having fun or pastime or whatever, do you ever struggle with the thought that like, wow, like maybe I should be working on more music right now? I mean, definitely for the nature and music for sure. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, a, a part of me would give up everything just to go and. Go backpacking for a year. I feel you know? that, dude. Um, like I'm, I I love music. You know, I'm I love. I'm so passionate about music, but I'm also also equally passionate about nature and just like exploring and and mm-hmm. being out there. And I think they kind of go hand in hand because I feel like when I go and I take a break and go out somewhere backpacking or even just a trip camping is like enough to kind of be a reset in a way. Like scratch that itch. Mm-hmm. And just like it just takes, I know mean, you get some time to like digest stuff and like, um, and get like some inspiration as well. Like, I've written a, I've written a lot of songs out of nature too. Yeah. Um, if I have the chance to bring an instrument, it's a little tough to bring in a backpacking. <laughs> yeah. Um, have you seen those travel guitars? Like the travel I guitars have. that you can like take the neck off of and then like reconnect mm-hmm. the neck and they're for like backpacking. Mm-hmm. Those are so sick, dude. Yeah, I've wanted I've wanted something like that for a really long time. That'd be so cool. Cause it'd just be nice to have it out there. Yeah. Or but yeah, there's definitely a limit. Or you, or you could you know you could probably fit like a ukulele and like a and a pack if you really wanted to. Yeah. Bring bring a drum pad maybe some hand. I've drums. done it before. Like we've back I've backpacked with a friend that brought one of those like Martin travel guitars. Uh huh. Um, we all just kind of carried it separately and took turns. That's cool. One thing I really, one thing I've like really, really wanted to do, like in the future, I'd love to like shoot live sessions of musicians like playing in nature. Have you ever seen? uh, Do you know what uh, uh, La Blogdeque is? Is it? It's not the. It's not the like crazy metal band that played on that rock. (laughs) No, (laughs) I don't know the crazy metal band that played on the rock. I'm talking about. (laughs) But I don't. I really don't know the name. uh, Not to sidetrack your name. I don't know what the name it is, but there's this video of this band. It's, like, playing on this, like, really thin rock. Whoa. Like, it like almost looks, it almost looks like you can't, like, yeah, like, you can't stand on it. Yeah. So it's pretty it's pretty hard. But I, I, you could probably find it. I'm sure that, if you looked up on YouTube and you said, like, heavy metal band, like, playing on rock. Sure. Would, heavy metal sure band playing on a rock. The, the mental image that I have in my head is, uh, what is the Coldplay record with the scientist on it? That album cover. 
That's a good. That's a, yeah. No, that's a good uh, representation. Yeah. Of <laughs> the metal band like on like, the rock. I know what you're talking about. I don't. That knowledge w- of Coldplay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you it's pretty small. <laughs> brush up on the Coldplay discography. Yeah, I should. No. That was one record. Dude, that album cover to me as a kid, because my dad loves Coldplay. I th- and I, as a kid, like that was one album. It was like that, and then never mind. I'd always look at mm-hmm. without any knowledge of the bands and be like, wow, like what the fuck is this picture? Like, I remember thinking that was so weird growing up. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, but uh, uh, La Bloc de K, they're, they're like this. There's music discovery platform, kind of similar to what we do. But um, they shoot live sessions. But their thing is, like, they shoot them in the craziest places. And I've, I have really, like, wanted to, like, use that idea for a long time and really go, like, rec- I think it'd be so cool to record musicians in nature playing music. Mm-hmm. Like, once I can do this full time, I really, really want to invest time into that. Because it's so cool what they do. And they find, like, musicians in, like, these, like... It's almost like their natural habitat in a, in, in a weird way. Like, mm-hmm. there's this one video that I'm obsessed with. One of my favorite albums ever is From a Forever Ago by Bon Iver. It's, like, one of my favorite albums ever. I feel like that album's... A, it, have you listened to it front to back? I don't think so. I think you'd love it, dude. Because the, the story behind it is, like, Bon Iver wrote it in this, in this cabin in Wisconsin in the winter while he was snowed in. Mm-hmm. He wrote the entire record on just a laptop and his acoustic guitar. And he wrote the entire record, just him, his guitar, and his laptop at his absolute lowest in nature, living in this cabin, when he was the most depressed he's ever been. It's one of the most depressing, like, decrepit records you've ever heard. Like, or, but, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but um, anyway, like, that album is so, like, lonely. Like, it's so, uh-huh. just the emotion in it is incredible. But anyway, La Bloc de K did this, they did this session with him where he played, like, songs from that record in France in a bell tower. And then he what? would, like, walk down the bell tower and just walk through the streets of France and just, like, play the songs for people. Like, as he That's was just, wa- oh, my God, it's amazing. And they, they have this one with Mac DeMarco where he's walking around this park and he goes up to, like, these cute little kids and he's, like, playing music with these cute little kids. And it's just, like, I feel like they, they really have it unlocked. Like, it's really cool. I think I've seen that video. Have you? You probably have. He's it's walking through the park. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I definitely have seen. Yeah, that. that's like this platform. They, they, they've done stuff with everybody. They, they have this one like Robin Pecknold playing stuff in like in like Glacier Park, I think it is. But like anyway, yeah, it's pretty incredible. I'm they, thinking of this video too. I wonder if they did it. Um, do you know the band of Districts? I know. I've heard of them like multiple times. I don't think I've ever listened. There's to them. like a video of the, like him. I don't know where it's at, but he's like kind of playing under this bridge. Oh yeah, it sounds along like this river. Um, it's really cool. It's like the whole band, like it's like just him on acoustic. It starts, uh-huh. and then like the whole band like comes behind him. Oh, that sounds like it has like, do, like yeah. these little tiny amps, like like with electric guitars and like the That's bass so and stuff. Cool. And it's just it's just really cool. And it's just like them walking along, and there's it's like some people like sitting and watching him play. Like there's one where there's like it's a little baby in a stroller like watching it play this like song. Oh, that's so cool, really dude. Nice. That's so cool. That's like a untapped market, I feel like. There's um god, what is it? I wonder if you guys have played it. There's a venue in Davis that's like very much like that. Like it's outside and like I don't know. I I I been getting into like outside venues. Have you have yeah. you have you have you guys ever played the Oakland Secret? No. Oakland Secret's so I, cool. I know about Oakland Secret. I wish I wish we would have yeah, I mean, I mean, maybe. Yeah. Maybe in the future. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a sick venue. I'm playing with this band right now called Clover, and uh, we played there a couple weeks ago. It's so like, 
I don't know. It feels so Bay Area because it's in like mm-hmm. it's in West Oakland, like right right next to the Bart Station, and then there's this like. It's, it's essentially like a big house, and the backyard is just converted into this venue. And it's the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Yeah, it's fucking sick. I, I love outdoor venues. Dude, me too. You guys ever played any like outdoor venues in Santa Cruz or anything? No, I don't think we have. I think the only place we've played in Santa Cruz really is the... The Catalyst? It's the Catalyst, the atrium. Have you played any outdoor room. shows? We've done like... I did like a Davis uh, festival at, at their campus. Cherry like Blossom? In May. Or the picnic uh, one? Whole Earth Festival is what oh. they call it. I love how we just named three festivals that happened to Davis. <laughs> <laughs> it was cool. Um, unfortunately, one of us had gotten sick at the time, so oh, I, had, I played by myself, just like the uh, acoustic set. Um, oh, that's cool. But that was fun to play outside. Um, we used to, like, some of the first shows we ever did was this thing called Jeff Stock. Jeff um, Stock? Huh. Uh, which just happened to be one of Bradley's friends, Jeff, that like threw like this little festival in his backyard. Oh, that's awesome. Um, those were f- some of the first shows we played. I think the very first Carpal Tunnel show was at that. Wow. Festival. That's so cool. <coughs> Have you guys played? You guys haven't played live down here yet, right? Like since you moved? No. No, are, we haven't. I are, mean, we, I guess the last time we played live in LA was February. Are you like waiting to do that, or like are you, do you want to do that after you put the record out, or after what? After the record, we're just yeah. working on the music, and it's like going back to the 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 work <laughs> work life balance thing. You know, it's like we're just been kind of balancing when we can find time to to tour. Yeah, is is, is that ever difficult for you? It's such like a live band. Like, is is taking time to record ever like something that's hard to prioritize since you want to be playing live so much? Well, I, we want we definitely want to record the music. Of course, yeah. On. So it like it, it does feel like that's kind of like takes priority before going and playing live as mm-hmm. much as uh, we like want to keep touring, you know? Because we have this music we've been working on, and a lot of this stuff has been written for a really long time. So we're kind of just like itching to get it out in a way, you know? Um, yeah. Obviously, like while taking our time. Mm-hmm. But. What have been like the biggest challenges that have come with recording this record opposed to the last one? Like, do you think there's been anything that like, or may- maybe not even challenges, but just like differences in regards to the process? Like, is there anything specifically this time, like logistically, that's been harder or easier? Because I know you guys are now working in. Uh, Brad was talking to me about it. You're working at Eagle in Eagle Rock Studio, right? It's like a studio in Eagle Rock. Yeah, it's called King Size Sound Labs. Uh huh. Um, which funny story is like moved to L.A. and um, I think like one of the differences I've noticed about LA neighborhoods is it seems like neighbors are kind of like, <laughs> I don't know if it's like forced to like know one another because mm. it's like your houses are a little bit closer and you have these front yards where you're kind of like, you ha- you ha- have no choice but to kind of like say hi because you're all yeah. right next to each other. Whereas like this, I feel like the houses in San Francisco are like, all touched different. together and there's like no like no front, front yard, yard. Yeah. so it's like not like you're going out and like hanging out on the porch and like seeing your neighbor next door yeah you know? um but i love that because like i don't know there's something i miss about like growing up and having like close connections to your neighbors and oh like, dude i know i was very much a cul-de-sac kid so oh I my like, god me too dude yeah yeah <laughs> i lived I grew up on a street called Greystone Lane, and uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to sidetrack. No, you, it's okay, we'll go back. Yeah, it, but it, it was like a cul-de-sac, and I knew every single kid in that cul-de-sac. It was in Clayton, California, back um, before I, these smartphones existed. Way and, before, and you'd go knock on your 
Dude. Neighbors, you know, like the kid that was down the street, you'd go knock on his door or something. Can so-and-so come out and play? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, like, we would all, dude, there, like, two ingrained memories in my head are, like, we would all take our DSs and we would, like, pick those chat. Mm, like, I'd pick mm-hmm. those chat with all the kids in the cul-de-sac. And then we'd also, like, catch bugs. I don't know why we caught bugs, but it was very much, like, a wholesome thing. We would catch bugs. Yeah, yeah. That was the thing. Anyway, I remember saying, having, like, a Game Boy SP and going de- to my um, my neighbor's house. I mean, he had one, too, and it was, like, we were both had this Pokemon game. Oh, yeah. And I remember, like, you could connect the cable from, like, you know, the Game Boy, and I'd connect it to yours, and then, like, that would allow you to, like, transfer. You'd Pokemon, like, yeah. You'd go to the Pokemon, and you could, like, give your friend a Pokemon, and be like, oh, dude, I'm going to trade you for... You know, here's here's a Charizard for the you know yeah. Blastoise or something, and you're like, dude, stoked, you know. Um, I remember that. that was like a revolutionary <laughs> thing, you know. And then I'm like thinking now, I'm like, I could just airdrop you a Pokemon or something. You know? like, <laughs> this is so funny. Like, imagine if Pokemon Go, you could airdrop Pokemon. Like, imagine how, what that would look like. That'd be can. so I don't, funny. I don't know. I don't play Pokemon Go, but me neither. I, I want to get on it though. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was so sidetracked. No, it's what, so good. What were in? Um, God. Okay, let's connect back. Neighbors, so yeah, yes. like moving down to LA, mm-hmm. um, I just happened to start chatting up with my neighbor. Like I, you know, it wasn't like snooping. I just like happened to see <laughs> like through because like it's funny like where our sink is. Like you can kind of like I clean my dishes and uh-huh. like, but there's like a window and it like looks like right next to my neighbors. Oh, that's in my parents' houses. Yeah, window. like our our kitchens are looking at each other. So yeah. like I could like look up and like. Like catch the you know our neighbor like both washing dishes like looking at each other like oh. what'd you have for dinner yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. um so there's like a window next to that and I saw like a mic set up you know, oh. like with a, a pop filter and everything and I was like oh that's cool like and so of course like easy conversation topic I was like hey how's it going and you know like, so you're Drake. introduced each other um and this guy happened to just be an audio engineer oh like, that's cool um. And, you know, and we started chatting up, and I was like, you know, we're, we just moved here. We're in a band, um, actually working on our second record. Like, that was, like, kind of the conversation. And he was like, oh, that's, you know, I used to work at a studio, like, around the corner. Um, huh. Or I, I think, I don't know if he worked there, but he uh, he had recorded there at some point. Um, and so he's like, I can put you in touch if you'd like, you know. So gave us an email chain. Um, and then we just happened to go over there one night. Because they invited us to go check out the studio. So Bradley and I went over there. Literally like less than 10 minutes from our house. Like <sighs> eight minutes maybe. Could basically ride a, like a bike there yeah. if you wanted to. Um, and we just like fell in love with the space. It was just like, it's a beautiful studio. It's like yeah. Um, nothing I've ever experienced before. Um, and we just like really bonded with the guys that worked there. Um, one of them is Ruddy. His name is Ruddy Colors. That's um, a badass name. Yeah, he's a badass. Shout out to Ruddy Colors. Shout out to Ruddy. Um, he's yeah, he's such a cool guy to work with. So he's, he's like, the engineer. He's the lead engineer, mm-hmm. and then um, Dave uh, is his name. Dave Trumpfio. 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 Yeah, that's a cool name too. Damn, that's so cool. Cool names at the studio. Yeah, cool. Dave Trumpfio. Dave Trumpfio. He goes, uh, he used to be nicknamed New Wave Dave. Oh, I, I cannot conjure up a better nickname for Dave. <laughs> There's not one that exists. New Wave Dave. He uh, he owns the studio uh-huh. um, and is also producing the record. Oh, and he's cool. He's going to mix it and master it. Um, and, you know, it's like we didn't know a lot about 
these guys that we were working with, we just kind of just vibed it out. Like kind of like we've, how we've done everything like, mm-hmm. um, with record labels, contracts, like we just vibed it out. You know, I feel like that's like, you just got to trust your gut at the end of the day. And, um, just surround yourself with the people that like it mm. feels good to be around, you know? Yeah. Um, so we just kind of took a, took a chance and just went with the studio. Um, and I think the more that we've worked with them, like the more I've just fallen in love with working with both of them. Like, um, we learned Dave is in this, was from in this band called the Pulsars. The back Pulsars. In the nineties. Um, so he's from Chicago. Um, and he, he's just, he's, he's done some of the coolest fucking shit I've ever heard of like an artist. Like he, uh, was like one of the, like he uh, was like one of the first bands to like actually use backing tracks. Like, Whoa. He used like a digital eight track and like would play it live. And he had like a remote, like up by his guitar to like basically start these tracks and program them. Um, and like went, like went on tour with like Weezer, I <laughs> blind and all these like crazy what? big bands. And, um, it was just like super involved in, in the, like the Chicago music scene and mm-hmm. just happened to move to LA, I think like 15 years ago or something now. But, um, he's just like, I, I'm so happy we're working with him and it's just like an unlikely connection. You so know? he's your neighbor. Well, or, our na- or, or your neighbor used to work there. Our neighbor was in a band and I don't know if I remember the name of the band, but he, uh, sought out Dave because he loved oh. Dave's music so much. It's like, like record he, with them. Yeah. Like he knew the Pulsars' music, um, and loved it so much that he asked, he was like, I want this guy to make my record. Yeah. Um, and so he went to Dave and that's how they know each other. And that's kind of how we got connected. But Dave was like telling us the other day that he was like one of the first people in Chicago to like buy the original pro tools. Whoa. Um, and it cost $60,000 at the time. <laughs> and I was what? in the and I was in the nineties. So So how much um, so so that was like a hundred thousand uh, dollars who knows, dude. Like and Jesus. So a lot of people would go to record with this guy. Like um, <laughs> This guy's got the Pro Tools hookup, yeah. He's done like a lot of Wilco stuff. Oh that's so like, cool. Uh, you know, like I'm like a huge Jeff Tweedy fan. Good connect yeah, good connection to Jeff Tweedy. Like Jeff Tweedy's one of Jeff Tweedy's guitars is sitting in the studio. What the hell? That's crazy. So, so you had this whole like, 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 like oasis of resources, like right next to your house. You didn't even know it. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. LA for you, bro. And it's on this place called the Rock Block. Uh-huh. The Rock Block, or that's at least what they. I don't know if Dave nicknamed. Is it that, that any but any relation to the metal band playing on the Rock or no? I don't know. No, no. <laughs> it's funny because it's in Eagle Rock, and there is a giant fucking rock in Eagle Rock <laughs> that you could theoretically set a band up on. And there could be an eagle trying, there. If you're trying to do a live <laughs> session. Um, but, yeah, it's this place on the, called The Rock Block. He opened up this place called King Size Sound Labs, and there's, like, four studios, maybe even more. I don't know exactly, but they're all, like, kind of in this building, unsuspecting building. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the guys next door... Happens to be this guy named Rob Schnaff, um, who's just also like a guy that's like in partnership with Dave. Mm-hmm. Um, he did like all the Elliott Smith records. Oh like, my god! Um, oh and, my god, <laughs> dude! And like recorded uh, like "Loser" by Beck, like back in like '96 or something like that, and like didn't release it for like two years because. There's like this really cool interview if you want to go check it out. Dude, it's, yeah. it's from uh, Earthquaker Devices. They do like these this uh, 
these little like kind what of 45 name. minute videos called uh, uh, I think it's what's my junk or show show me your junk show me your junk okay show me your junk and it's just basically like interviewing these crazy record producers that just like go throughout the studio and like talk individually about these pieces whether, oh, that's whether sick. it's like a guitar or like this weird piece of gear and there's like there's one that Dave does mm-hmm. um, our producer um, and his is really cool, but then also Rob has one, and he kind of talk. He like talks about how the loser record was recorded. The vocals are literally like the first or second take, and they were all recorded on this like really old kind of like I don't know if it was super old, but it was like a, one of those cheap like shitty Radio Shack mics. Yeah, like it just looks like a plate. And you just kind of <laughs> like hold it up, yeah, like your mouth. Um, I could kind of see that. I feel like I feel like his vocal, vocals in that song are like really like really like overly compressed. I'm a loser, baby. Like, like the rap part, I feel like is very. I can see that now that you say it. Yeah. And they had that song for like a while. They didn't release it because it was like. I think it was just so weird. They were like, this doesn't yeah. sound like anything else. And I think like, if I'm not mistaken, like Rob was saying that like Nirvana really hadn't like, broken out yet. Uh-huh. You know, like. So I, I like never mind. I don't think how it came out. Like they had the song recorded before that. Uh huh. So it was like kind of weird to like release that. Yeah. So they like waited for a while, and I think they released it like two or three years later after recording it. Um, but yeah, just crazy wreck, dude. Like, I mean, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think do, like the Doctor Dog Shame Shame record. Was oh my recorded god, next dude! Doctor Dog is so sick. Yeah, that's I like mean, that's like a band. Like, I feel like we take a lot of inspiration from. Really? You know? I mean, I love their music. I think. It's oh, they're like super, great. Super powerful. Um, that's a cool I think that's a cool influence That not a lot of people mm-hmm. Probably have Maybe they do Yeah I feel like it's like The generation right now Is also being influenced them By them yeah. Especially with like You know Weird all the time Go like Blowing that up blew on TikTok up. Dude, and Stuff like that I, I have actually thought so much About that specific song Blowing up And it really blows my mind Because think about it That song came out On their first record Which was what 2005 or 6 right I think it's on The Shame Shame record Which is like I think, is it's it? their, I think it's their second or third record. I thought it was on their first record. I don't know. Anyway, the, I think the, the first record is the one with the. There's like a balloon on it or something. Yeah, I thought it is. Uh, I thought it was on that one. I'm probably mistaken. I don't know. Either no, I'm probably mistaken. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, though, like it blows my like. I was thinking about this very deeply one day. That that song is, what at least ten years old. That song yeah. was made. In a time where TikTok or the idea of TikTok or even the, the modern idea of social media didn't exist. Mm-hmm. And that song, in essence, was written before they understood like what would happen to it 10 years in the future. And that's a really weird thought to me. And I think it's like kind of a testament to why you should just do things to do things in a weird way. Not, yeah. that, not that they wouldn't put that song out if it, it wasn't TikTok compatible, but they did. And little do they know that this random media platform that didn't exist yet and wouldn't exist for 10 years was entirely, like, perfect for this song and everything that this song represents. Like, there's no way they could have known that or predicted that. Yeah. Oh, but it's yeah. weird to think about. And there's, do you know, the like, the Walters thing? Yeah. What, what about them? Do you know, like, uh, so they, um, they stopped being a band. And then that song blew up. Uh, what? I didn't know that. That song blew up on TikTok and it blew up so much that it kind of like, they were like, of course we're kind of come back and 
and play music again because like oh i didn't know I that they, that's like, so cool i think they stopped because like the you know like the band was successful but it wasn't like i don't think it had made it to the point where it was like it made sense to like drop everything else yeah you know? but that song like forced them to almost come back in a way that's I mean, so it's, like, cool so crazy big now yeah um, and they're huge. They have this whole like push behind them now. Yeah, I remember listening to that song like when we first started Carpool. That's so crazy. That's so it's cool to see that it like took off. Yeah. Like, what five six years later, maybe even more. That's such a weird idea because like you never like like I, there's no way to prepare for that because the thing is it's not like those things were intentional. It's, it's not mm-hmm. like they made that song for TikTok. You're like you know they're like oh it's gonna blow up in the future. <laughs> Obviously not, but it's kind of I think it's a testament as to like why you just keep going because you 100%. never ever ever know what is around the corner. Like yeah. you just don't know. And and I feel like I think about this a lot. I'm like if you do this if you do what you love for ten years and two days, ten years and three days could be the day that changes your life. And you'll never ever reach that day if you stop, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And it's just like you just you just never know, man. And I understand that like you get you get to a certain point where you know you're like I've been doing this so long, like I I don't think it's viable. But it's like I feel like you, it's, it's a part of you that you have to, you have to keep alive. I feel like when you let your dreams die, that's like letting like you die, and yeah. like really succumbing to like what I I wouldn't say necessarily what the world wants you to be. But what the world has engineered you to make think makes more sense, because people just—I don't know—I feel like I've been saying this a lot recently. I think practicality isn't always so practical. I think like if you're going to settle for practicality and be miserable, there's nothing practical about mm-hmm. that. One of my favorite, favorite, favorite quotes ever is Jim. Is it's a, it's a Jim Carrey quote. I really want to get it tattooed one day, but I think it's like cha- it's changed my outlook probably than any other quote ever has. It's a. Uh, so many of us choose our path based on fear that's disguised as practicality. I think about that a lot. Mm. And I don't think being, like, I really don't think that, like, settling for a 9-to-5 job that you hate, I don't think that's practical. Yeah. Yeah, no. I, like, I'm, like, definitely not a settler. Like, I feel like I yeah. I get I get pretty bored after, like, even, like, a, like a year or two of, like, the same job. Like, yeah. um, luckily, I feel like my job now is, like, I don't know, it has enough diversity to where it feels mm-hmm. like every day is a little different. Whereas like, you know, the restaurant industry is pretty repetitive. Yeah, it's tough. Um, but going back to what you were saying about, uh, um, you were talking about albums uh-huh. right? um, and recording and like um, keeping, like keep going and like eventually like something might blow up like the TikTok song. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's something that I just have to remind myself of. And it kind of feels like, with this record, like kind of just getting started, like almost in a way. It's awesome. Um, especially cause this record's like just so different, mm-hmm. um, in a really cool way. I think it's just like a more evolved, like form of our old music. Um, and like was really like creating like an atmosphere almost in a mm-hmm. way. Like it really feels like when you're listening to this record, like it brings you scene, to a yeah. place like, um, and you get to like be in that place. You know, almost like what you were saying, like when we were recording like something like this, like uh-huh. we kind of get to step into this space for a little bit. Yeah. And come out. Um, and not, not that the first record doesn't do that, but I would say that this record is going to do a lot better of a job. Really? Of bringing you to a t- different place. I feel like, and not and <laughs> not to gas you up too much, but I, I feel like the first record does that like amazingly. Yeah. But like, I, like, I feel like, <laughs> I feel like when I hear like, and, and you know why? It's because of the, it's because of the, the bongos in the beginning. 
the hand drums. True. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's like a hypnotic thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'm going to, you know, snap three times. Come into bloom. <laughs> come into yeah. bloom. Because it, it repeats. Like, the yeah. same bongo part it's at the beginning happens mm-hmm. at the end. Yeah. And it just restarts. Yeah. Which is fucking cool, dude. <laughs> that's like a pretty unique thing that I don't think I've ever seen anybody do. I mean, we're super big people on vinyl. Mm-hmm. Like we we love vinyl. I mean, I love like I love the experience of listening to a record all the way through. Yeah. Um so that's something that we try to like incorporate into our music, you know. Of course. Um which is kind of like a dying thing in a way. Yeah, like making music for vinyl. That's certainly yeah, a dying. Yeah, and thing. almost like making it's like I don't know if this album is necessarily like a concept album, but it's like it's conceptualized in the way that it like it brings you into this space and these the songs are very similar in a sense you know mm-hmm. um and just like talks on like a ton of different topics um just like being content with your life and hmm. um there's like there's like some existentialism in there and like i think the biggest thing is just like the kind of ending is like almost just like doing what's best for yourself. Yeah. Cause I think a lot of the time, especially like connecting back to a lot of things you were talking about, especially being in LA and being, you know, jealous of others and expectations of others. Um, just accepting that like you're doing what you love for yourself and not others. Mm. Is that something you struggle with as as a musician? Because I, I think about this a lot. I, I was I I heard uh, Curtis Waters, my friend, talking about this, and I was thinking about it. I feel like there is something about making art that has to be, no matter how you slice it, inherently narcissistic in a way. And it, it's weird to think about, but it's like how do you surpass that barrier where it's like I'm not making this for somebody else. I'm making it for me. But I still want it to like do well, you know. I still want there to be like some pop appeal to whatever I'm making. Because at the end of the day, like whatever you create has to have some kind of pop appeal, yeah. you know. But it's like if you don't, if you're not interested in that, how do you how do you maintain that balance between making what you want to make versus what other people want to hear, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, we're all kind of buying into it with social media too. Yeah, that's for sure. <coughs> we're all like looking for reassurance in a way, you know. Mm-hmm. With like you, you don't want to put something up and like have no one react to it you know yeah yeah of course not um which is tough as being an artist because it's like you obviously want people to connect to your music and fortunately like like we've had people that do connect to our music which is an amazing thing and that definitely like drives me to want to do it more Mm. um but like i have you know you have these dreams and like you want to do things for yourself to a certain extent, because it makes you happy. Yeah. You don't want to just do it just because, you know, you want to, like, meet other people's expectations, whether it be mm-hmm. family members or friends or people you might not even know, you know? Um, and so, I don't know, we kind of had this idea, and there's this movie called The uh, the Beach Bum. The Beach Bump? Beach Bum. Beach Bum, okay. <laughs> the um, Beach Bump. It's a, it's a interest, it's an interesting movie. Um, it's really cool, though. I highly recommend you watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the coolest part of the story is that <coughs> it's about this poet named Moondog. 
this fictional character. Moon like dog. Kind of this, like, everything about him is, like, super toxic, mm-hmm. you know? Um, alcoholic, drug addict, like, cheats on his wife. Um, Guy's going through very it. Very chaotic life. You yeah. Know? But he writes beautiful poetry, like, um, huh. and it's just, like, this contrast of these, like, you know, he obviously has, like, these major character flaws, but is, like, um, great at what he's passionate about, and he just, like, Almost as content in a way. Um, is it okay if I spoil the movie? Go for it. Okay. <laughs> it, sounds so, like, it sounds like the kind of movie I can watch gonna, and I'm still just, enjoy. Yeah, exactly. I'm just gonna give you the, um, the you know, the spark notes. Uh-huh. Um, his wife dies, and um, in the will, it's like you have to write your next poetry book in order to get this money because like she's like super wealthy. Whoa, that's um, cool. And so. It forces him to like get off it, his ass. Get yeah. Off, yeah, get off his ass and do what he's supposed to do. Um, and so he writes this book, and it's like in the in the movie, it like becomes like a New York Times bestseller, blah blah blah. And he gets the money, and so he like calls the lawyer and he like asks the lawyer to like take all this money, like these millions of dollars, and put it on a boat and like sail it down to the Caribbean, what? like where he is, and. I think it's the keys or something. He's like in the Florida keys. Um, so he, he has this boat, he brings it down with all the money, millions of dollars. And then he has like all his friends and he throws this huge party and he's like lighting fireworks on this boat. And then he lights the firework on the boat and he burns the boat with all the money on it. And like, that's kind of the ending of the movie is like, uh-huh. he did this. He, he, you know, he like fulfilled his like, um, his wife's wishes at the time to like write this poetry book um, <laughs> and then kind of just gives away and burns all the things that he was had earned from it. Whoa. And it's almost like it's just it's just it's kind of like this beautiful message, though, you know? Yeah. It's like, what are you really doing it for? Yeah. Yeah. Like, are you doing it like he's not he wasn't doing it for the money at the end of the day, you know, like he did it because like. He, he was doing it, like, for his own poetry's sake and, like, getting his story out there. And, I don't know, there's something beautiful about that. So I just, like, <coughs> we kind of took inspiration from that for, I guess, some of the meaning behind the record, which mm. is a cool uh, little inspiration and uh, allusion to that. And Beach Bum. Yeah. That, that, that I think there is something really beautiful about that, though. It's like, what are you really doing it for? I think, like, if you want to have a longevity... In the creative career, you really, really, really have to do it for yourself. Mm-hmm. Because I think doing it for yourself allows you to do it even when you're not making money off it. It allows you to do it even when it's not getting re- it's reach it's not reaching who you want it to do. It really just allows you to create for the sake of creating. And I think that's really, really important. And that's why I, I really believe that like when you let if you're if your dream is to be a creative and you let your dream die, you're you're letting a very like, I don't know if I think youthful would be a good word for it. Mm-hmm. Very youthful part of you, and a very true and real part of yourself die with it. And I think that's really, really bad for yourself because I feel like it doesn't really matter how deep you get into some other non-creative career, you you can still hold on to it. You know, you can still yeah. like 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 you Ben could be working at CrowdSurf and and you could be an upper level executive. I'm sorry, it's called CrowdSurf, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, it, it, I want to make sure I didn't mess it up. But you could be like an <laughs> upper level executive doing that, and you love your job, 
but you can still come home and write every day. You can still come home and play yeah. guitar every day. Oh, yeah. You know, and it's like I think if you keep that 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 little part of you, that creative part of you alive, that is just so good for who you are and your soul and your your individuality and mm-hmm. you as a person. You know, I feel like if you let that die, it gets scary. And it's like kind of a balance, you know. It's like you are you're doing it for your own happiness because like. I, I, I like live to create, you know, like I want to like, I, I don't see life being lived to the fullest if I'm not doing that. You yeah. Know? Um, but then I do have to remind myself, you know, that people are listening to this, you know, um, mm, it's a responsibility. So that, yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's, that's the best way of putting it, you know? Um, and that's like not even just in the sense of like putting out music and like what that music is about. It's also like being a part of the scene and Mm. like, um, kind of being like a safeguard to like, make sure that place is safe for people to go and see you live. Um, that's a huge thing that has gotten us like, (laughs) I don't know, like into some trouble too. Cause it's like, there's some politics of like turning down shows because of, you know, you're standing up for what's right almost in a way. Um, We've turned down, you know, of course, shows with bands that probably would have, like, benefit, like, not, I don't know if it's, like, but it would have been positive almost in a way to, like, be exposed to all those new people. Yeah. But, like, we don't agree with, I don't know, especially bands that have allegations and, like, somehow some of them are still supported by the music scene. But uh, it's, like, tough, you know, like, I wouldn't. You, we have to like be supportive of, of one another as bands too, um, to make sure like we're not taking those shows with certain bands mm. so that we can protect the scene and make sure that like, um, you know, people that do make the scene an unsafe place are not, I don't know, given the, the spotlight that yeah. they're given, you know? No, of course. Do you think now that since you work in the music industry, you've seen both sides of that? Like I would imagine, cause, cause you're, 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 you're right. And I think they're, is a lot of like there's a lot of bands and labels and companies that work with that exist within music that very clearly can benefit off working with an artist that has done some really really morally wrong things, mm-hmm. and I think very often some of these companies and labels will prioritize the profit. They'll say, you know, I can work with artist X and X, but artist X and X has all these allegations and he has all these cases against him. He's done all these awful things, but we're, we're going to work with him cause he's huge. And he make, he can make us a lot of money. Like, yeah. do you think now that you've been on, you know, you've been on the business side and then you've been on the, the creative side, you've kind of seen like the way that people navigate that. And has that been like hard to like kind of keep your moral compass? Cause I would, cause I would imagine like, cause I mean, it's, it's like we're all human, you know, it's like you obviously if carpool gets like, and offer to do a show with the biggest band in the world. Of course you want to do it. But like, yeah. what if they're morally like terrible people and they've done all these things and they have all these, <laughs> these cases against them? It's tough. No, I mean like I kind of try to go with my gut and my gut would be to say not to support them. Of course. Know? Yeah. Um, Cause even it's like, even if you are benefiting, it's like not worth it to me to like go against what I believe in, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, being on the industry, is, eh, it's kind of definitely shed a light on it. You mm-hmm. definitely see that, like, <clears throat> there's people that are able to kind of, I don't know, cover up their tracks and still, like, go on even though, like, things have been said about them. And I think it really depends on the size of, you know, certain bands. But it's tough. I mean, it's definitely getting better. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's all the way there, you know. 
Um, and it's really, I feel like only been like elevated since like the pandemic happened. Mm -hmm. like, um, I'm not really sure why that is. Like maybe it's just like mm -hmm. people being online more and it could be, yeah, it could be that. <coughs> I think it could be, you know, I'd ask you this question. Do you feel like the pandemic made you look at yourself in a very honest way? Because I feel like I did a lot of self-reflection in the pandemic. And maybe if that was a more like mass thing, that mm -hmm. could be a cause of it. I don't know. I feel like in the pandemic, like I realized a lot of stuff about myself. Like I, I certainly realized that I had a little bit of ego that I had to get rid of. I think I realized that I, one thing I really realized in this life is that like you can do what you love 24, seven, 365. You can work and not fucking sleep, do whatever you want. But that's only a viable thing to do if you have things in your life that make it worth it. And for me, I, I didn't, I wasn't seeing people I love, you know, cause it was the pandemic or whatever. I wasn't seeing my friends that I love, but it, I realized like that is a big part of what makes like what we do in this life worth it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And there's like, <coughs> you know, like things that I feel like I need to have to like kind of keep that, I don't know, happiness. Level yeah. Up, you know, and I, that includes nature and working on music and being around people I love. And yeah. Um, fortunate enough to feel like I have all those things, which is nice. Yeah, dude. Um, but yeah, I feel like I've gotten into a a, a really great place. You know, um, I'm not. I don't feel like I'm like 100 percent content yet. Mm -hmm. I don't think uh, I. I don't think you ever are. Really, no. Right? Yeah, it's like always hungry. It's the human condition. Yeah, you always yeah. want more. Yeah, 100. percent What so. What's like your biggest 2023 goal? Like, do you have something you really, really want to do this year, opposed to last year? I mean. I think releasing this this great record is definitely like on the top of my list. Mm -hmm. um, that's a good question. You're asking me my resolutions. Huh? Resolution. <laughs> Except don't call it a resolution because as soon as you call it a resolution, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. Um, I guess we are nearing the end of the year though, so it's like, gosh, got to think about those things. Um. I mean, I think just, like, taking also advantage of, like, where I am, you know, mm -hmm. even more so than I am now. Um, I think, like, a lot of people that I uh, have known from my past that I really enjoy working with, including yourself. Thank you, bro. <laughs> um, are moving down here, and I'm around them, and um, I'm excited for, like, what's to come of mm -hmm. that, you know? It's kind of cool. <laughs> like, I feel like, um, you know... You and Lance and uh, and like all these you know people that are moving down here that are in the scene, including Jake, who now lives with us. Um, we're almost like forming a little like scene of our own, you know. Yeah, I feel um, the same way. It, it makes me really happy, you know. Yeah, it's like it's like starting small, but it's like growing slowly. Like even like the the friends giving, and I'm sure like you having you know that like Secret Santa with friends last night too is like yeah. um, similar feeling. You know, it's like nice to be. Um, around something like that again because I feel like that's like something we lost mm. uh, with with 2020 happening and the pandemic and everything yeah. slowing down um, and it's like slowly growing back again but now I'm in a new place and it's like exciting and who knows what's gonna happen you know I agree I, I think that was something I was afraid to like not have when I mm -hmm. moved here you know but I'm really, really happy. Like I found that group. Like I, because I feel like you're right. Like I feel like there is a bit of like a scene bubbling, at least around the people that we're around, and that's a very, very beautiful thing. Because one of the worst things to do is do what you love every day and have nobody to share it with. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But we're lucky. Yeah. Well said, Mr. Ben Carpool.
Carpool <laughs> Tunnel, Ben Copenyan. Not Copenjan, Copenyan. Yeah. I appreciate you, man. Thank Dude, you for doing this. Appreciate you. Yeah. Is there all. anything else you want to end with? Um, no. Nah, we, we, we touched all bases. Except, yeah. except tell them where they can find you, where they can find Carpool Tunnel, when they can expect a new record, potentially, when Should they I say can it get the happy. Camera? Say it in the camera. Okay. Um, Carpool Tunnel Band, Instagram. Carpool Tunnel on pretty much all other platforms. Um, It'll be on the screen right On too. all the streaming platforms you can find us. We got a new record coming out uh, summer of 2023. Uh, working on it right now. Um, and we're really excited to share it with y'all. Thanks for having me. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate you, dude. Yeah, of course. Yes, sir. All right. Music matters. Music matters. <laughs>